Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This episode is the first part of our year overview series. Executive Pastor Mitchell Neldon explores the important aspects of believing in Jesus. Mitchell challenges us to believe in grace, the new covenant, and the resurrection offered through Jesus. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway-related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com slash connect. We all know things that, that we come across and, and that are really hard to believe, right? There, there are some unbelievable things that we see, both positive and negative. And today we're going to be talking about uh, something that's really important, that some things that we need to believe as Christians. Because what Christians believe about Jesus matters most. And what Christians believe about Jesus is, is unbelievable for most, right? What we believe about Jesus is to, to the person that doesn't believe. The reason that they don't is because they look at what we say about Jesus, and it's unbelievable. That Jesus came, he was, he was a man, but he was also God. He lived a perfect life. He never messed up. He never sinned. He was killed on a cross for the things that we've done wrong, for our sins. And he didn't stay dead. He was resurrected. And he came back to life. And he never died, right? We know some people, like, their heart stopped. They're dead on the table, and they came back to life. But a little while later, they, they passed away. Everyone dies, right, except for Jesus. Jesus came back to life, and because he was God, he never died after that. He's still living to this day, physically resurrected. That's unbelievable, right? You tell that to, the ran, to a random stranger that's never heard the story of Jesus, they're not going to take your word for it probably. But because of the Holy Spirit and because of, 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 our, of our fellow brothers and sisters in the faith, we can share that good news. And because of the Holy Spirit, we, we, we can feel that conviction. We can respond and we can have faith in Christ and we can have a relation. We can believe the unbelievable as Christians. Well, there's a story about one of the first ever Christians where he looked at the story of Jesus and said, no, nah, I'm not going to believe that. And that's where we're going to get started today in John chapter 20. One of my favorite passages, uh, Thomas is, is somebody who gets a bad rap, and, and uh, for the most part he deserves it, but we can relate to a guy like Thomas. Because in John chapter 20, Jesus had died, right, and he was resurrected. And what we're going to pick up in verse 24, he's shown up to, he has showed himself resurrected to some of the disciples, but Thomas wasn't there. Thomas has not seen the resurrected Jesus, but he has heard about the resurrected Jesus. In verse 24, this is where Thomas finds out about the resurrected Jesus. He says, or John chapter 24, or 20, verse 24, one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hand and put, his, and put my fingers into them and place my hands into the wound in his side. And eight days later, the, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The, door, the doors were locked, but suddenly as, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. 
Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And we are those blessed people that Jesus is referring to. Thomas, he got his wish, right? What gets me about this passage is that Jesus uses Thomas' own words when he appears before him. Thomas says, I'll only believe if I put my hands on the holes in his hand. I'll only believe if I can place my hand in the hole in his side where I saw that he was pierced. I'll only believe then what you're telling me about Jesus being resurrected. So Jesus shows up to Thomas, and Jesus says, place your hands here in the holes of my hands. Place your hand in my side where you saw that where I was pierced. Then you may believe. And Thomas exclaims, he realizes how foolish he was. He says, my Lord and my God, the person who's in charge of my life and the person who created me. That's really powerful, right? But Jesus says, you've seen me and you've believed, but blessed are the people who have not seen me yet still believe. That's us. This happened over 2,000 years ago. I don't think any of us have seen resurrected Jesus, right? Let's have a conversation if you have. Um, but I'm willing to bet that nobody has seen resurrected Jesus, yet we're still here worshiping who he is right now. Every Sunday we come, we, we, we are online worshiping, we gather together to celebrate our resurrected Jesus. It's important that we realize why that we're blessed. We have this relationship with God that was given to us. Jeremy, this summer, he talked about grace back in June and how grace is free and secure. And he talked about the covenant with Abraham and how God had this agreement with Abraham that, that if he obeyed and trusted God and, and made God the, the, the director and Lord of his life, that God would, would make his family his family that Abraham's descendants would be his children, God's children. And that was the covenant that he had, and we just wrapped up that series. And yet here we are, and we get to participate fully in that grace. We get to participate in the new covenant, and we are blessed. Yet sometimes our belief wanes, right? Sometimes we, we look at the story of Jesus, and we're in a season, and we're like, I, I don't know, the state of the world has got me doubting. I had a conversation with this guy the other day, and he has me doubting. Or I'm going through a rough patch, and I'm not sure that I can believe in a good God that allows these bad things to happen. Our bottom line for today is what you believe about Jesus matters most. More than anything else that you believe. If you believe that we're going to somehow make a bowl game this year, I don't even know. If you believe that, that bowl games are even going to happen this year, that's not near as important about what you believe about Jesus. If you, if you think that you're going to wake up in the morning, right, and you believe, okay, I'm, I don't think that anything's going to happen. I, I, have, I have faith. I believe that tomorrow's going to be here. That's not near as important as believing in Jesus. And no matter what different beliefs that you have, whether it be about your own existence or about sports or whatever, what you believe about Jesus matters most in this life. And yet what we do is we, we, set, our side, or we set aside our beliefs about Jesus and say, yeah, I know that's important, but I'm not going to prioritize that right now. 
I know that, that what I believe about Jesus gives me salvation, that I have grace through my faith, but I'm not going to live according to that faith right now. It's just too hard, or I don't want to, or I'm too busy. What you believe about Jesus matters most. And we can all waver, right, in our faith. We can all be in seasons where our belief wanes and, and we let the circumstances of this life get the better of us and allow our, our beliefs to, to kind of take a step back into our life. And, and we're going to be looking, we're going to cover a lot of Scripture, actually cut some Scripture out this morning, so you're welcome. Uh, we're not going to cover all that I, that I originally thought we were going to, but we're going to be looking at the Church of Corinth. And Corinth is, is a city in Greece, and it's not too far from Athens. And this was a, this was a church, a group of Christians there that worshiped together as a church. And, and the Apostle Paul writes a couple, we have two letters that are included in the Bible, First and Second Corinthians. And we're going to be looking at both of those letters today. All of, no, not all of those letters. Uh, we're going to be looking at different sections of it. But, but here's a map of, of, uh, of Greece, and you'll see Corinth. And just to give you some context, if you're a geography guy, this, so you see Athens right there and Corinth. And if we had the map over, I tried to find a better map, but this is the best I could find. Uh, like Israel's over here. So Paul, Paul got saved in Damascus over here. And then he traveled down to Jerusalem and he got you know, blessed and whatever by the, by the church in Jerusalem. And then he traveled all over, really. You see Thessalonica there, and he spoke in Greece and Ephesus, and, and Corinth is, is the group of Christians that we're going to be looking at, They're Paul's letters to them this morning. And they were a church that, because they were in Greece, they, they had Greek culture and the Greek religion, everything that comes with being Greek, kind of working against them and their faith. And they had to be counterculture because of what they believed about Jesus. And Paul... And the, the next slide, you can just skip that, Luke. It's just a picture of, of uh, I thought it was a cool picture of Corinth. Go, go ahead and throw it up there for a few seconds. I thought that mountain was cool. Anyway, this is some ruins in Corinth. Uh, uh, I've never been there, but hopefully one day, um, if, if we ever get to leave our houses. But uh, the, and Paul's relationship with Corinth was a little bit complicated. He loved these people, but he also got really frustrated with them. Paul had a little bit of a short temper. And when he writes these, these letters in, in the First and Second Corinthians, you can, you can see his emotion behind his words. And his relationship with, with Corinth, do we have that, Luke? Oh, yeah. So Paul's relationship with, with the Corinthians. So he planted the Corinthian church. We can see that story in Acts 18. Several other teachers, they came through, right? They came through after Paul left, and they said some things that they were a little bit more successful than Paul was when it came to money. Paul was a pretty, pretty lowly guy. He, he didn't really care that much about money, and so the, some other teachers came through and kind of talked trash about Paul. And uh, Paul was notified of the problems in the church. So Paul, he planted the church. He left. People said, hey, there are some problems that are going on in Corinth. You need to write to them. So he wrote to them. And then he actually visited them and to address some problems. And there were still problems after he wrote and visited them. So he wrote again to them, and that's 2 Corinthians. And there's, there's actually uh, some, I forget the number. Anyway, Carrie was, said, Carrie was telling me everything about Corinthians. Uh, she, she did a lot of studying for me this week. I appreciate it. Um, and uh, so Paul has this complicated relationship with the church of Corinth, right? And he loves them so much, and because he loves them so much, they frustrate him terribly with the issues that they have. And, and we can't identify with them, though, right? We're, we're not a church with problems. Right? We're a perfect church. 
So we, it's hard for us to read this and say that, that we can identify with them. That, no, for real, like we, we, can, we can look at this and see the problems that we have as a church and, and identify and relate to them and say, man, these people are human. These, there's nothing special about just because they were Christians 2,000 years ago. There's nothing special about them. They have issues just like we have issues. And even though they were planted, a church planted by Apostle Paul up here, and we're a church planted by Jeremy Flanagan, we still have issues, right? Sorry. <laughs> and we can look at that, and we, we, can, we can see that their struggle with what they believed is very similar to what we're facing today. And so Paul addresses several different things. We're only going to look at three. And Paul, like I said, he had some teachers come through that talked trash about him. And he was being discredited by these different people, these different teachers that, that came through. And he writes in his second letter, in 2 Corinthians, in verse 12, he writes to them and addresses these critics. He addresses the issues that come up from these people that are critical of him. And they were saying things about, these teachers were saying things about Paul, like, look at him, he's not that successful, he doesn't have money like we have money. He doesn't have the authority like we have. And they were saying these different things. And Paul writes, and he, and he goes through a laundry list of things that gives him his credentials. He talks about his suffering for the faith. He talks about how many times he was stoned and shipwrecked and, and arrested and all this stuff. He talks about how he was a Pharisee, how he was, he was somebody who was very well educated, that he was somebody that knew the Hebrew, the Jewish faith better than anybody. And he's kind of boasting, right? trying to prove his credentials to these people and saying that, that if anybody has a right to boast, I have. In verse, or chapter 12, verse 6 of 2 Corinthians, he says, If I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so, because I would be telling the truth. But I, want to do, but I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have re received such wonderful revelations from God, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and hardships, persecutions and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is trying to be, or his critics are trying to discredit him and say that he doesn't have the kind of authority that they have. And Paul writes, and, and right before this, earlier in the chapter, Paul says that I had a vision. He was called, he said that whether he was in paradise or whether it was just a vision, he doesn't know. But he had this vision. He saw paradise. He saw, he saw a heavenly vision. And he says, if that doesn't give me, if God has given me that kind of vision, I have every right to boast. I saw Jesus face to face on the road to Damascus, and he has called me, he has handpicked me in person to be somebody who carries the gospel everywhere, who brings his message to all people. And I have every reason to boast because I have all the credentials in the world. He says, and to keep me from being proud about this, I was given something that afflicts me. Because he 
admits that he could have been prideful, but God gave him something to humble him. And what we know is that it was something so bad that Paul asked for it to be removed from him. Paul asked three times. He says, God, remove this from me. And what God responds with is he says, no. All that you need is my grace. My grace is sufficient, some translations say. God's grace was all that Paul needed to do and to live the life that God asked him to live. That's all he needed. He didn't need to be cured of whatever he was, was afflicting of him. He didn't need to, to have his discreditors uh, wiped off the face of the planet. He didn't need to, to not go through these difficult things that he lists out. All that he needed was God's grace. And I believe that, that he's writing this to let the church of Corinth know, if you think that you need something other than God's grace to live the life that you want to live, think again. Because look at my life. It's terrible, but I still get to do everything that God asked me to do. And because of that, I can be completely fulfilled. We look at our lives and we think, I need this, I need that. I need this to be fixed. I need this to come into my life. And what God wants us to realize and what the church of Corinth needed to realize is that all you need is the grace that's already been given to you because of your faith. That's all you need. I'm not going to lie. Things are tough right now, right? For a lot of people. Some of y'all are waiting to see if your jobs are even going to be around. Some of you are looking for new jobs because your other job went away. You may be dealing with illness. You may be dealing with, with real frustration. This is an election year, so things are super nuts, right? And like, like I, I've been reading more news than, than, than I've ever read in my entire life. And I told Carrie just this morning, he said, I ain't reading any news this week. It's just putting me in a bad mood. Because no matter who you are, what you believe, or who you think that you're voting for, you have a lot of reasons to get mad, right? You have a lot of reasons to be frustrated. It seems like... Hope is being pulled out of our hands at every step. Every single day, there's something to be upset about. And this may be you, right? You may be suffering some, the, the worst you've ever suffered in your life. You may be in a really frustrating season. You may be really nervous about what the future looks like. But what God wants you to remember is that his grace is all that you need. And if you believe, then you have the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus and have faith in him, then you have the Holy Spirit living within you. You have the very presence of God living within you. And God wants you to know and believe that that's it. That's all you need. You don't need all these things to be fixed. You you don't need to live in your own perfect world. You don't need for your candidate to be in the White House. You don't need for all of your ailments to go away. You don't need any of that. All you need is God's grace. And it's freely given. And when you have it, it's secure. And nobody can take it away from you. Believe that. Don't let that belief wane. Because when you stop believing that, you see the darkness in the world. You realize how hopeless the world is apart from that grace. But thank God, because of our faith, we freely have received grace. We have it securely. No matter what happens in this world, no matter how crazy things get, nobody can take that away from us. Grace is, 
is something that's, that's given to us. And, we, and Paul, he, he, we're going to skip over to, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And he talks about this new covenant, right? And he starts drawing comparisons to the old covenant and the new covenant. And Jeremy just got done speaking on the, old, the establishment of the old covenant with Abraham. And that old covenant was, if you obey me, God is saying, if you obey me, Abraham, you make me your God, the one true God of, of your life, then, I, then your children will be my children. And that's the old covenant, right? It's an agreement between God and Abraham to say, this is the nature of our relationship. And Jesus shows up and he establishes this new covenant. And that's what Paul is talking about here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. He says, the old way, which is the old covenant, with laws etched in stone, led to death. Though it began with such glory that the people of God could not bear to look at it, to look at Moses' face, rather. For his face shone with the glory of God, even though the brightness was already fading away. Shouldn't we expect far greater glory under the new way, now that the Holy Spirit is giving life? If the old way brings condemnation, which was well, glorious, how much more glorious is the new way, which makes us right with God? In fact, the first glory was not glorious at all compared with the overwhelming glory of the new way. So if the old way, which has been replaced, was glorious, how much more glorious is the new, which remains forever? That's the most important phrase in what we're looking at this morning. How much more glorious is the new, the new covenant, which remains forever? See, the old covenant, right, this agreement between God and Abraham, the nature of their relationship, and then Moses shows up and he gives them the laws and it allows them to, to kind of measure how well they're doing in their covenant according to the law. But, but what that did was just, was just realize how far they fell short of God's glory, right? And that was a temporary covenant. From the get-go, it was meant to be temporary, and Jesus shows up and he establishes this new covenant. And what Paul says is this new covenant, covenant remains forever. It's not temporary. And even though the old covenant was so glorious, when, when God gave that, the laws to Moses, his face shone, he had to wear a veil because the glory of that, of that old covenant was so great that his face was bright. And think about how glorious something has to be for your face to be bright, Right? To watch Joe Adams return that punt, like I think that my face would be glowing after watching that, right? But this is, a, this is an actual, Moses' face is literally glowing. Now he has to wear a veil because it scared the Israelites. And even though that was really glorious, this new covenant, when it's compared to the old covenant, the old covenant is, is not great at all compared to it. And the reason that it's not great at all is because, because the law, the old covenant, it's what showed you how far you fell short. Paul actually describes it as saying as, that it led to death. But this new covenant gives us life by the Spirit. This old covenant, it was, it was written on tablets, Paul describes it. This new covenant is written on our hearts. The old covenant is not great in comparison to the new covenant. And it remains forever. No matter what we do, no matter what happens in the future, no matter how bad things get, you can believe in this new covenant, this new nature of relationship that we have with God, and it's going to stay there forever. This new covenant is meant to be eternal. 
And our relationship with God is eternal. And how we enter into this covenant, how we enter into this new relationship with God has a really low threshold. The old covenant was great, but you had to jump through a bunch of hoops. 611 or 613, depending on who you ask. But you had to jump through these hoops to, to maintain this old covenant. And Jesus says, believe. Have faith in me. That's it. And you get this new covenant. I will give you the spirit of God to live inside your physical body so you can do that, so you can love people the way that I love you. That's, that's the new covenant. It's real simple. It's, it's a real low threshold to believe this unbelievable story about Jesus. And the great, the, probably the greatest part about this is that this remains forever. That your relationship with God is intact. And if you believe that, that this new covenant isn't going to go away someday just because of something else that happens, that should give you great hope and great confidence and should allow you to stand firm in that belief. And, and you can allow yourself to believe that, that no matter what happens in this life, you have this agreement, you have this relationship with God that nobody can touch. And it's given to you through this low threshold of faith. I say low threshold don't misunderstand me. It's, a, it's sometimes a difficult thing to believe in who God is and what he's done for you and who God is and what he's done for you and what Jesus has done for you. But it's so simple that a child can do it. An agreement between you and God where you have a relationship with him through that faith that's covered in grace that's freely given to you, that's, that's given to you securely, that will exist forever. It will remain forever, Paul says. And you may ask, how long is forever? I used to think that, uh, I used to think about forever as a kid, right? That's a hard thing for a kid to understand. And the way that I thought about the world, I related everything through movies, right? And they, I thought, like, well, how can it remain forever? Even like movies, like they have end credits, so in my own internal, in my own logic, right, I'm thinking, doesn't this life have end credits? Even heaven, like, okay, so you die and you go to heaven, I get that, all right? But doesn't heaven have end credits? Isn't there a time where everybody just goes home and it's, and it's over? The covenant that we have with God is forever, forever. The nature of our relationship with God in this life, because of our faith in what Christ has done for us, is reflected and is the same in the next life. There are some differences, but you are still God's. And you, even though you have the, the spirit of God living within you in this life, because of your faith in Christ in the next life, you will be in the very presence of God. That's the nature of this covenant. So when Paul says it remains forever, when this world ends, your life ends, and then reality itself ends, that covenant remains intact. And we will be with God forever. And we will be in his very presence and we can worship him for who he is and what he's done for us. Some Corinthians, they found this unbelievable. They heard about the resurrection, 
not the resurrection of Jesus. What we know about 1 Corinthians 15 is what Paul is addressing is that he is addressing the Corinthians having a hard time believing in the resurrection of, of human beings, of the dead, of, of, other, of, of people. And Paul wants to set the record straight for, for this church. He, he wants to let them know, like, no, 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 no. Christ was resurrected from the dead, and so will we. We will also be resurrected. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 12, he starts, But tell me this, since we preach Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying that there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless, and your faith is useless. And we apostles would be all lying about God, for we have said that God raised Christ from the grave. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless, and you are still guilty of your sins. In that case, all of you, all who have died believing in Christ are lost. And if our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are more pitied than any of the world. And verse 20 says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest for all who have died. Paul kind of works through some logic for these Corinthians, for these Greeks. If you know anything about Greek culture, they love to argue and debate logic and reasoning philosophies. So Paul is appealing to that in this passage. And he's saying, if, if you don't believe in the resurrection, in Christ, you believe that Christ was resurrected, those, those two, that unbelief and that belief does not make sense. It doesn't line up. If Christ was resurrected, then we also will be resurrected. If Christ was raised from the dead, then we have, will also raise from the dead. If Christ... So let's say, if you don't believe in in us being raised from the dead, then let's say Christ also wasn't raised from the dead. And if Christ hasn't been raised from the dead, then we're still guilty in our sins. And everybody who claims to believe in Jesus, they're lost. They don't have that that new covenant that that I'm going to talk about later in the second, second letter. Like, that doesn't even matter. But, in fact, Christ was raised from the dead. And so will we be raised from the dead. Resurrection is something that, in my mind, like that's, that's hard to believe. I've been to several funerals. I've never been to any resurrections. But because of the victory that Christ had over our sin on the cross and over our death in the empty grave, we will also share, just as we share in the victory over sin, we will share in the victory over death. And that when our bodies are laid down to rest, we, our physical bodies one day will also be resurrected. Just as Christ's body was resurrected, we will also be resurrected. And it's very important symbolism that's, that's happening here. There's a lot of hope that we should be getting from this belief in the resurrection. 
If we believe that in the resurrection, as Paul is asking the church of Corinth to believe in the resurrection, then we will have this great hope that Paul had all over his life. You can see the whole reason he existed and the whole reason he didn't give up and the whole reason he continued after he was persecuted, jailed, stoned, shipwrecked, all discredited, all these things are happening in his life. And he still every day got up and made his life about bringing Christ to people. The reason that he was able to do that day after day after day till he was killed for what he was doing is because he believed in the resurrection. That even death was not a defeat for those who believe. That even what most of the world believes is the end of life was the beginning of his true life because of what Jesus had done. And he continues in this verse. And he's imploring the Corinthians to believe in the resurrection, to believe in the importance of the resurrection. He says, but let me, in verse 51, but let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. This is a very famous passage. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have believed will be raised to live forever. And we who are living will all be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this scripture will be fulfilled. And he is, he is referencing Isaiah and, and Hosea here. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives, gives sin its power. But thank God he gives, gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. You may wonder how Paul did what he did with his life, continuing to to face the things that he faced. In verse 58, he gives us the secret to how he's able to do that. So my dear brothers, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Because of Jesus... The death of defeat gives way to victory for those who believe. You know, Paul stood in the face of his discreditors. He stood in the face of illness, prisons, and even death itself. But he believed the grace of Jesus was all that he needed. He believed in the new covenant and that that would remain forever. It was eternal. And he believed when death did come for him, when he, he believed when death did show up at his door, that it would not be the end for him. He believed it would bring a new eternal life spent in the very presence of the Savior that he served here and this side of death. That's what he believed. And he's telling the church of Corinth, just as the Holy Spirit is telling us through the preservation of God's word, to be strong and immovable. Remain steadfast. Don't let this world and what it throws at you get in the way of what God has for you. Because God has a great life for you here on this side of death, and he has an eternal life for you on the other side of death. And he wants you to believe that. 
He wants you to remember the new covenant and remember that it's showered in free and secure grace. And the, the way that you get it is through believing in Jesus. And yet what we do is we look at the story of Jesus in certain seasons of our life. We set it aside and we stood to focus on everything else that's going on in this messed up world. And we let it zap our belief. And even though we have received salvation, even though we have faith in Christ and we know we have the Holy Spirit living within us because of that, we believe everything else more than we believe what Jesus has done. What you believe about Jesus matters most. And Paul is asking you, believe in his grace. Believe in the new covenant that he has given us. And believe that just as he defeated death, you will defeat death as well. Do you believe that? Do your actions show that you believe that? Do your emotions show that you believe that? Do your plans show that you believe that? The band's going to come forward and we're going to worship And what you believe about Jesus matters most. And what do you believe about Jesus right now? Are you somebody who's never believed in Jesus as, as Savior, as the Son of God, as somebody who has the power to redeem you from your sins, to give you that victory over sin and death? If, if you never have done that, I, I want to talk to you. And I understand, like, this, this, is a, this is probably not a good time to be face-to-face talking about this stuff. But, but before you leave here, I want to know if you want to talk about this salvation, this new covenant, this grace that's given to us through Jesus. I want to talk to you about that. So, so hopefully we can get you to a point where you do believe that and you can enter in into that relationship with God. Well, if you have done that, is your belief wavering these days? You going through a tough time? It's tough, man. It's, it's real tough. Are you struggling? Is it tough for you to get out of bed? Is it tough for you to see the light at the end of the tunnel? Are you suffering? Are you, are you going through some physical things that you wish God would take away from you? Are you frustrated? What God wants you to do is first and foremost believe in the grace that he's given to you believe in the relationship that you have within that grace and believe that no matter what comes your way no matter if the worst thing happens and your life ends no matter if God doesn't take away the things that you want him to take or to fix the things he wants that you want him to fix that you still have victory over sin and death He wants you to believe in that and allow that to be the thing that you carry with you everywhere that you go so that you can be strong and immovable like Paul and still live the life that God has for you, a life filled with hope and love and joy 